Welcome to the Jacked Rabbit Fitness Podcast, where we give you tips and tricks to level up your health and fitness. I'm Coach Brandon, your host, recording from Swamp Rabbit CrossFit, where it's our mission to lengthen and improve the lives of people in the Greenville area by providing the best hour of their day. You can always find out more about life-changing fitness by following us on Instagram at Swamp Rabbit CrossFit. Now, enough about us. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome back, rabbits and friends. Today, uh, I'm your host, Brandon, and I am joined by Dr. Brian Blank, who is the uh, the owner-proprietor of Ember Modern Medicine, which is uh, a concierge, kind of subscription-based medical practice. We'll talk a lot more about that in a few minutes, but welcome, Brian, to the show. Thanks for having me. This yeah. is so exciting. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited to, to get to have this conversation and share it with everybody else. So, what, uh, just to start kind of background, where are you from originally? So I grew up in Erie, Pennsylvania, snowiest city in America oh. for several years running. Yeah. Five feet of snow on Christmas day, do like you, four years do ago. Do you like that or no? I don't miss it. No. Everybody, <laughs> everybody who listens to this knows that we're coming into, it's, uh, it's almost May and mm -hmm. it's almost 85, 90 in the afternoon. <laughs> And that's my favorite time of the year, like 90 plus, I'm good to go. So I can't imagine living in a place that the snow is almost as tall as me. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's still winter in Erie. Yeah. <laughs> it was the best six months of the year up there. Oh, yeah. And actually, yeah. I had a paper route growing up, so I was always out oh, wow. in it. and Busting snow and yeah. working. Our car would get stuck in the snow during the winter and yes i don't miss that oh man you're you're selling it well <laughs> erie is going to send place. you some checks for uh <laughs> tourism does have a great park on the lake yeah if you are in the area nice that's, that's cool. cool so then erie pennsylvania um you know play sports what, what were you involved in growing up uh i grew up playing baseball um and had a lot of fun doing that i was in ninth grade when I was on our school's JV team mm -hmm. and we had something like 21 out of 27 games canceled because of rain or snow. Oh dear. And uh, and they weren't made up. Just the six game season. Yeah. So, <laughs> I thought I've got to do something a little bit more active here than, than baseball. Yeah. So actually the paper route had gotten me in shape and so I joined our cross country team. Okay. So I started doing long distance running and loved it and uh, so I did cross country and track and um and then continue to do some long distance stuff in college just yeah you know for fun and you're pretty tall yeah six one not as tall as you no not, but, six I ten mean, six well, yeah six <laughs> ten six hundred six uh so most of the time you don't see guys who are are six one you know 200 pounds being long distance athletes what what was the frame like in high school oh yeah it uh i mean i was pretty skinny back then um actually i grew I was kind of younger, so I when I went to college, I actually had a growth spurt, uh, okay, yeah. like freshman year in college, and um, so started getting tall then. And actually, but I've always been kind of a bigger guy, and even then, when I was doing a lot more distance running, I remember we had this 10K on our campus, yeah. and somehow or another, I took second place in this race, and at the end of the race, there were people there at the end, like little like health students and stuff, measuring like BMIs and stuff. Okay, yeah. And so they calculated mine and they're like, hey, you're borderline obese. And I said, I just took second in this race. And they said, well, the numbers don't lie. And I was like, I think oh, those numbers lie. That's funny. So uh, BMI is a contentious topic. Like this is a total tangent yeah. from the, the growing up piece, but like- I hate BMI. Yeah? What, uh, why? Because a lot of people will be happy to hear a doctor say that. <laughs> 
I mean, personally for me, I've had these issues with it. Um, though I, I will say I'm not in the best shape right now anyway, but so I can't blame that. But, um, but yeah, it's, it really gives you an incomplete picture on somebody's health. The yeah. reason we use it so often in medicine is just because it's so easy to calculate. Yeah. All you need is somebody's height and weight and you figure out that ratio. The BMI itself wasn't even created by anybody medical. I believe it was a um, like a statistician or something yeah. um, who had sort of come up with it and uh, as maybe like a health metric. If, and then, if I understood correctly, you could tell me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. that it, it's kind of an actuarial table, like all things being equal. Mm -hmm. People who have a higher BMI have a higher likelihood of all-cause mortality, so they're a poorer investment for health insurance. That's probably also true, yes. So I, I think that yeah. there was something in there that it was, it was maybe less a health metric and mm -hmm. more an investment metric. So That makes sense to me. Yeah, BMI. I think I am obese on the BMI, or have been for I a believe lot of it. my adult life. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I don't feel obese. No. They, uh, well, the, I always like to use the excuse, I think GQ at some point, like yeah. the sexiest men alive. Yeah. They, going back, some news article calculated how what those guys' BMIs okay. are. Yeah. And they were all obese, yeah. like, you know, George Clooney's or whoever, yeah. you know, it's uh, like Brad 25 Pitt. to 30s, somewhere in there. Like over 30 over is 30. obese, yeah. And yeah. so, but it's because you've got so much muscle. They've sure. got so much muscle. It just ramps them up on that scale. And um, So you heard it here first. 30 BMI is the look. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's what the, we're all that's aiming for. That's what we're coming for. <laughs> that's funny. Well, that, that took us off a little bit. But uh, when, when did you first start to develop an interest in pursuing medicine as a career? No, that's a good question. Um, I so I originally studied journalism and was cool. working in um, cable news for about five years or so, and but I'd always really liked kind of science and math. And I was living in New York and met my wife now and started talking to her and met her family. Her father was a longtime primary care doctor at the Cleveland Clinic. Okay. So started talking to him about what he liked about medicine and what I liked about journalism and saw some um, overlap there. So decided to switch careers, and yeah. so it was really kind of talking to him about his love of working with patients. What's, uh, yeah, what was the the overlap? So, what I really liked about journalism was the this idea of kind of getting to tell somebody's story, really kind of getting in there and you know doing some hopefully public good um, in the practice of it. What I found, especially in in news or cable news, uh, you know that would happen sometimes, but it was pretty rare, mm -hmm. you know, so it didn't seem like we were helping, I think, as much as we probably could. Whereas it seemed to me in medicine, um, there's just more of a hands-on sort of opportunity to really help folks' stories. And um, and plus, with primary care specifically, what my father-in-law did, it's this idea of kind of working with um, and getting to know patients and their families over a long period of time mm -hmm. and really trying to, um, to, to help them that way. And so I really like that. And so... Um, that's kind of, I guess, what yeah, so kind of led me the, to make that change. The common good is is originally I started out, I want to tell stories in a way that shines light on what is good, maybe shines light on what's not so we can make it better. Mm -hmm. Found your impact on that was not as strong as you would have liked it to be. So what's, where's the next option for doing good? Now, there's a zillion ways that you could do good sure. and not go to school for eight years or, you know, whatever it is you have to do first before you can like really get your, your hands in it. Um, you know, was it just the connection with your father-in-law that made medicine seem like the, the right choice? Um, I think it had always kind of been in the back of my head. I'm trying to figure out why I think I had done. So as an undergrad, as a journalism major, it was, it was a fun experience because, um, 
you're kind of freed in a lot of ways. So I went to the University of Missouri and they have um, a, a broadcast department there. And um, what is fun, I think, about being a journalism major is that we got to basically explore all kinds of different classes. And so mm -hmm. we got to take things just for fun because I thought they would be useful. So think political science classes, history classes. Um, but I took some chemistry classes and I just loved them. Like I, yeah. and I, for whatever reason, had done really well in those classes. And I just always had stuck out to me that hey, you know, maybe I would enjoy some sort of science-based career or something like that. And then actually when I was living in New York, I made this mistake that uh -oh. really ended up helping me in the long run, but uh, I needed to get my wisdom teeth out. Oh, yeah. And they, I'm sure they must have told me not to eat anything before that procedure. And I just threw it out the window or totally forgot about it. Mm -hmm. So I was at work, I had lunch, and then I got off of work and then I went over to the dentist's office and they're like, oh, well, we can't put you under if, you know, if you've just had lunch. So we'll just have to give you some local anesthesia. Ooh. And I was like, okay. Uh, and so they, they did these injections. So I didn't feel a thing. Yeah. Um, but I was so into it that they let me actually... Uh, hold a mirror and watch the whole procedure. Wow. And it was really cool because some of these, uh, my lower uh, wisdom teeth were impacted and they were sort of, they needed to be crushed before they could sort of get pulled out. And so at one point the dentist was pointing out the difference between our, uh, like the skeletal jawbone yes. and then the, the teeth. The teeth are whiter than the normal skeletal bones, which okay. are yellower. Yeah. And I just thought this was the coolest thing in the world. It's fascinating. It's great. And oh, uh, I have the heebie-jeebies so bad right now. <laughs> Sorry. I was definitely asleep for my wisdom <laughs> teeth being taken out, and I'm thankful for it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think... I'm glad that I'm sure there are YouTube videos out there that... Oh, for sure. You yeah, know, if you want to watch the Weird people like me would love to watch, but... Uh, that's awesome. It was so, and then so I remember. So that experience also was like, well, maybe you know, I could stomach like the, a medical career or yeah. something like that. And so it ended up being a great experience. I was so loopy after the procedure, so excited <laughs> about it. My wife was picking me up, and she goes, "You weren't making a lot of sense. <laughs> like you just needed to sort of calm down a little bit." Yeah, yeah. Anyway. That's. Uh, I think that there's also lots of great YouTube videos of that experience. <laughs> All of right. the uh, post wisdom tooth extractions <laughs> that you have with people going crazy. Those are funny. So then, uh, once you decided medical school is the way, where did you end up studying? Um, so let's see. So I was, because I was a journalism major, I had to, um, go back to school and do my pre-med classes. Right. Oh yeah. So we, um, we ended up moving to Boston where I did those for two years, basically part-time classes. Um, did a lot of running while I was in Boston, which was super fun. And then there was a gap year when I was applying for med school. So my, um, my wife and I, we moved to Costa Rica for that year. Oh, awesome. She was working for this international organization called World Vision and, um, they had a Latin American headquarters down there. So yeah. she'd always wanted to live in a Spanish speaking country to sort of nail that down. And that was a great, great opportunity for us. So we moved down there. I was interviewing for schools and sideline. We just uh, joked that not only did I not learn Spanish while yeah. I was down there, but I lost English words. So oh dear. <laughs> came, came back with a deficit of language capability. That's awesome. Uh, and then, so we came back and then I went, uh, started at uh, UNC and so did med school at UNC and then residency at Duke. So got to stay in the triangle oh, there for about That seven sounds years. illegal. Like yeah. you, you can't, you can't get your, your schooling done at Chapel Hill and then just go down the road to Durham and hang out. Yeah, it was, uh, it was very awkward. But you don't have to move. Don't have to move. That was, that was That's a big nice. key. Yeah. yeah, be able to keep the family rooted. Now, where, where along the way did kids show up? Uh, in med school, actually. Okay. And uh, so we had our first one when I was uh, in our third year. And um, 
a uh, an experience i guess that we had actually with that birth kind of helped lead to this business that we started now oh, which cool. was just for kicks uh my wife decided to ask the hospital for an itemized bill oh, after yeah. her c-section right and so and they gave it to us and it was just fascinating to go down this list um, I think what ended up getting billed to insurance was something like $26,000. Yes, right. Um, and then our out-of-pocket was probably 2500 or something yep. like that. But to see line by line, so... Here's some $45 Q-tips. Yeah, a tab of ibuprofen was $1.70. An hour in a, quote, non-shared birthing room was $980. Yeah. And I have not seen a shared birthing room in America, so I can't imagine what that would be like. Right. And, um, a night in the newborn nursery, I think, was like $2,000 or something like that. Um, and then, so flash forward, then three years later, we had our second child. Mm -hmm. We did the same thing. We asked for yeah. an itemized bill. Yeah. And that tab of ibuprofen went from $1.70 to $17.50. 10 x Wow. Yep. Okay. So that's like a $1,500 bottle of ibuprofen. Right. So we, uh, it was such an educational experience for me, not just me. But I remember I was on the, so we, we had our first child mm -hmm. and then I had our OB rotation as a medical student. Sure, yeah. And so I took this bill and I was showing it to all of my OB attending doctors uh, and I was just having them guess, hey, how much do you think this is that we're doing right here? Right. Nobody had any clue. No clue. Like this, there's no price transparency they're just in medicine. medicine. Yeah, yeah they're exactly. doing their job. They know what they get paid. Mm -hmm. You know, they, roughly here's what a nurse might get paid, whatever, but not. What does insurance get paid? Yeah. Or what is this going to cost this patient if we um, give them this bottle of saline solution? Mm -hmm. $77. Um, wow. Seven years ago. Yeah. Uh, and so it was really just kind of a, a fun and sort of eye-opening experience for me. It was just to kind of how um, maybe another way that we could ultimately help folks is just really show how much things cost in medicine and mm -hmm. sort of take away some of that. Makes sense. Add some transparency. Yeah, that, that makes sense. A lot of what I understand the, the inflation on healthcare costs is functionally investment companies, aka insurance companies, who want to make sure they have enough money to maintain their investments and make money. And if we can just kind of bill that through, patient never sees it, great. Then the money keeps flowing, they keep getting bigger and richer. That's all that happens. And yeah. And our costs just end up going up, up right. and up and up. Yeah. Even with traditional insurance plans. And right. It's just crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That that's very interesting. So when you on the heels of all that, you finished school, you did your residency work, where did you first practice medicine? So, uh, so we actually, so we moved down here right, right. after residency. So we had, um, my best friend from growing up in Pennsylvania had come down to the, um, uh, this area to run for Furman university. So it was okay. on a cross country team, um, and has kind of stuck around this area for the last you know 20 years or so. And we have visited them over time mm -hmm. and just fell in love with Greenville. And so when we were finishing up, we were looking for places to live and we thought, Hey, let's move to Greenville and kind of get to know the area there. We're also a little closer to my wife's family here. They're in Beaufort, South Carolina okay. now. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful place. It's so great. Fun to go fishing there. <laughs> it is. To yes. Get on the river. It's a, it's an awesome spot. Go catch some red drum. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then what was the, what was the first job when you got here? Was it a hospital job or? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So I was working for Prisma, yep. well, the Greenville health system at the time, I guess. Before and, they um, sold. Yeah. Before they sold. It was a different place back then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was working for the local urgent care. So the MD 360s now Prisma health urgent care. Uh, and so was there for three, three and a half years or so mm -hmm. while we were trying to get established, 
uh, had I knew that I wanted to open up my own practice, was trying to get to know the area a little bit, and then COVID happened, and yes. um, that kind of spurred things on a little bit. And um, so yeah, it's, it's been fun. No, that's cool. So then. The, the initial experience with saying, show me the, the itemized price for this, part of that is what motivated you. What what else? I mean, starting starting a business is more than just, can I come and practice medicine just under my own name, right? There's a lot of work that goes into being an entrepreneur, preparing a space, all those other things. So what made you feel like that was the challenge you wanted to tackle versus kind of the more, air quotes, comfortable I'm just going to go to work and leave it at work and, you know, do my thing as a doctor. No, that's a good question. I think, hmm, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this too, for you personally. Um, but I think for, for me, I feel like, and I started to learn this more once I started maybe working in these large organizations like um, Time Warner, which owns, you know, CNN or uh, News Corp, which owns uh, Fox News, um, that these big corporate organizations, I mean, they're really difficult to work for. And I feel like I had started to learn about myself that, um, I think I would like this idea of kind of being my own boss and, um, trying to figure out a way to make that work in medicine. That's got a lot more difficult in the last 20, 20, 30 years or so. Mm -hmm. It used to be kind of the default folks would kind of get done with medicine and then probably start a practice or join an existing practice or take over a doctor's as they're retiring. But now the default really is to become an employee. Mm -hmm at a major um, health system. And so it's been a complete mind shift in just a generation. And so one of, I think my goals when I was in training was to figure out how can you do this in primary care, which is what I wanted to do. How can you do that in a way that um, is feasible, you know, with the current market, insurance changing and mm -hmm. the Affordable Care Act and um, just, I mean, it's getting hard to do primary care in general. So finally we, found this model called direct primary care, which I think makes it, um, makes it feasible, but yeah, so it's what's difficult the, environment. What's the difference there? So if, if somebody was looking for a doctor, it's not mm -hmm. uncommon for us at the gym because people move to town. One of the things they want to do is find a place that they like to go for exercise. They'll come in and say, do you know anybody who primary care or coworkers, whatever, what's the difference between direct primary care and a primary care office that's owned by the bigger health system or somebody's, you know, personal business that they're running as a primary care? Like how, how would somebody know simplifying the differences? So that's a good question. So we, in the direct primary care, it's called direct, I guess, because we don't uh, bill insurance directly. We kind of do a fixed monthly membership. Mm -hmm. um, unlike sort of pricier concierge like practices, uh, we, um, our goal for monthly membership is probably like less than the cost of a cell phone bill, you know, for most patients. So, um, you know, for us, that ends up being somewhere for like 75 to $90 a month for an adult. And, uh, for kids, it's $20 a month. Okay. Um, and that, so that really is meant to include everything. So no extra copays, all basic lab work and stuff is included in that strep test, COVID tests. Um, and the reason we're able to make that work is because, we aren't sort of billing insurance. So mm -hmm. just like working in the hospital, there was this markup for a tab of ibuprofen. Right. You know, in what we've seen in this model is that even basic blood work, you know, like checking a liver function or kidney function, mm -hmm. that stuff can get marked up like a hundred times the cost. Yeah. So an example I'll use actually with men is um, testosterone. Sure. I've seen that lab get billed to insurance for anywhere from $150 to $300. Um, but we take insurance out of it. We order the same lab from the same lab company. 
it's four dollars you know wow so that's how much the markup is and so we cut it out and what we do here in basic primary care really isn't expensive shouldn't be expensive mm -hmm. it needs to be something that's kind of um affordable for everybody and so um yeah so i think that's kind of the big difference i think between us and the um, sort of traditional models we also have longer appointments so yep. we'll have like hour-long visits we try to see folks the same day or the next day um, there's this problem i think that we have in medicine right now and especially in the greenville area okay. where because the population growth is so huge yes it is really i think we're outstripping kind of the medical capacity and so yeah we it's getting harder and harder to find like i have i talked to patients who it can take them months to be seen by the primary care doctor now right um they may be able to get in to see a specialist a lot faster which is just this complete flip yeah, of how it normally flip. works yeah normally that's a four to six month wait to get on somebody's schedule mm -hmm. not primary care yeah yeah but greenville is just getting harder and harder and wow um so yeah we really sort of pride ourselves on the fact that we can get folks in pretty quickly and um and try to see them when they're actually sick and not like three weeks afterwards. Right, you've recovered, what was going on? <laughs> yeah, sounds so like that was pretty bad. That, that leads me to a couple of questions. I think one would be, um, if kind of the traditional model in physical therapy and primary care is kind of churn and burn. Like we gotta, I need to see you for 10 minutes, I gotta go chart this real quick, I need to see the next patient, and I need to get a lot of patients through, margins being what they are, and, and just trying to run a business. Why, why did you feel like the better plan was let's have an hour-long appointment? Because that's four patients, five patients that you could see instead one and at a price that's not your, your visit's going to be billed at $900 and you're going to still pay $25 bucks on top of your $1,000 insurance that you pay every month. Like, Why did you decide an hour was worth it and that's a better way to treat a patient? Well, I felt like the way that the current system is set up right now, it's that churn and burn, like you mentioned, is it's real. So there's this just this focus on how can we make the process of medicine more efficient, you know, focusing on sort of quantity. How can we have everybody working at the kind of the top of their level is is commonly used. And um, what that ends up looking like in practicality is that I think the average time that you would spend with your doctor nationally is something like seven and a half minutes in a you know, typical yearly encounter, mm -hmm. um, whereas what I think what we can try and focus on instead with this model is is quality instead of quantity. Mm -hmm. And so the funny thing that I've discovered about medicine is the, um, and maybe it's like this with journalism too, but it, to really get to know somebody's story, there there's this time investment that needs to take place. Yeah. And so it's, you know, I have these patients who I see regularly who have been sort of bounced around the system and um, have been struggling with like let's just say gi issues for a long period of time and they're just not getting somebody who can who, who will take the time to kind of sit through their process and kind of learn what has happened or kind of what is going on and really help understand it because really just because it takes so much time yeah and so um you know if if we can offer nothing else except um a chance to uh really kind of explain a situation, really spend time with folks, that alone, I think, makes a huge difference in somebody's overall health. And I agree with that. Yeah, the the being seen and known by your healthcare provider, by your coach, mm -hmm. by your whomever is going to be, you know, giving you advice and, and helping you out is, I think, a huge part of lowering the stress, growing the trust, and saying, you know what, uh, because 
you see this, I'm sure, as much as we do, and probably more when you were in more of a churn and burn kind of model. It doesn't matter what you tell the person if they don't comply. And so if they're not going to adhere to the, the plan of care, then you can prescribe X, Y, or Z. But if they don't know you and trust you and like you, why are they going to listen to you and then make these changes that are going to have second and third order changes in their life that they have to navigate all of this? So taking the time to say, no, I actually hear you. Can I reformulate what you just said to me and tell it back to you in a way that you say, yeah, that, that's, that's it. No one has ever listened to me before when I've gone to the doctor. Have you ever heard that from a patient? All the time. Oh, yeah. Um... No, I had a patient the other day say that they they had been waiting for months to see a specialist, and then the the specialist he came into the room, said three words like what he thought the diagnosis was, and then turned around and left. And then that was it. That was literally the whole encounter. Yeah. Uh, and they just felt bill insurance. Let's go. Yeah. Next one. There's just it seems like there needs to be more respect in the current system. By the way, I would also say I this is yeah. this is what separates, I think, Swamp Rabbit CrossFit from okay. a lot of the other gyms that I've seen in the past, is just that same sort of mentality of, um, of friendliness. Yeah. You know, so I think, when, I don't know how you've managed to do it, but um, you've got such a great collection of coaches and um, the folks who are just kind of le leading these workouts who will spend the time to get to know everybody who's actually in the class. Mm -hmm. It's not just people or numbers kind of coming in the door, but yeah. Um, Thank you. Yeah. yeah. No, I feel like uh, it's not a place where you can go and just be a, um, you know, like a wallflower. Just, yeah. We don't want that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We don't want that for sure. That also keeps people probably from getting injured. I would say too. That's the aim. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's one of those things with the Forrest Gump shirt, right? You know, stuff happens. There, there's times where it, it you know, it, it was just that that was the, the last stroke that felled the tree, as it were. Uh, thankfully for us, most of the time we're hearing about people getting hurt outside the gym and they're coming back to the gym going, okay, how do I deal with this knee that I hurt? Uh, we had a, a firefighter uh, who recently tore his meniscus pulling somebody out of a fire. Hmm. So, I mean, if it's there's no a more excuse. superhero way to tear your meniscus, <laughs> I don't know what it is. Usually you hear it's like, I slipped on ice. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's never a cool story. Nope. So at least his, there was like, there was something to go along with that surgical scar. Yeah, I saved a life while I was, while I was doing this. But back in the gym, doing the right things uh, as he's going through the process to recover and, and get ready for surgery and then return from surgery. So yeah, knowing, knowing people and having them trust us means that they take our advice. And when we know we're outside of scope, we can say, go see our physical therapist friends over here and go see our primary care friends or, or whatever the case yeah. may be on those things. So if, uh, if somebody was going to come to Ember and uh, they were going to be a great proactive patient, they care about their health, they're intentional about what they do when they're not at the doctor's office, when they're not at the gym, you know, all, the, all those things, uh, we can always talk about the other 23 hours. What, what are you going to do there? Because that's really where you get healthy or sick. Right. Right. Um, what would that look like? What would you want to do for somebody as they were joining your practice? What would you want them to do if they were going to make the best use of your practice and just for an avatar idea, you know, it, most of the people listening to this are probably in their late twenties to early fifties, generally health conscious people. They're active. If I'm in that group, I know there's a wide range. There's a lot of different advice for a 50 year old than a 25 year old in terms of longevity and health. But mm -hmm. broadly speaking, if you're going to say, come be a member here, here's why we're going to be able to do these things. And these are the things you should ask for. Even if you don't come here, when you go to the doctor, this is the advice I would give you to um, 
take best care or take control of your health practice or your health care as much as you can. Um, you know, itemized bills is one thing, but just <laughs> right. kind of the what tests, what kind of things like that. Yeah, I think um, I know there's a lot of super healthy folks at um, at, at the gym and. Um, the I think the thing that is easy to forget when you're especially young and in shape are sort of general health screenings, and so um, well, so there, uh, an example that I can think of is a patient I have who's in her 20s, early 20s, and did not grow up really going to the doctor. Her family didn't for various reasons, and um, but when she would get sick she'd probably go to like an urgent care or something like that. And um, she kept having these recurrent skin infections. Mm. And so they would basically, she'd get seen somewhere, they would get treated to go away, come back again maybe a year or two later and, or whatever. But um, what, uh, what, she, what we ended up getting missed, I think, in that was that um, it, she probably had a more resistant um, type of bacteria that was causing this infection that really needed to be eradicated. And um, so the Band-Aid approach was causing this to just come back and cause it. Actually, it had spread to the whole family at this mm. point. And, um, uh, but something that would have been caught, I think, if she had had somebody who had s the same person had seen her more than once, if that right. makes sense. Yep. And so yep. what I think we forget about when we're young and healthy are kind of these general sort of health screens. And so, you know, checking for family history of cancers or um, sort of routine screening, that is important. Mm -hmm. um, it's not something that you know, you need to go to the doctor usually multiple times a year for, but um, at least checking in with somebody, um, you know, once every year or two, I think is, is useful. Labs um, are sometimes up, but not every time, you know, a part of the, those sorts of um, those sorts of screens. I think for other folks who, what we're excited about here, so going back to our BMI that yeah. we were talking about earlier, yep. one thing I think that we can offer folks who I think who are going through like a new or um, radical sort of either dietary or physical change, we have a body comp analyzer. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to get this, it's a medical grade body comp analyzer that I wanted to get because I've just had such a bad experience with the BMIs in the past. Sure. And uh, so it's a way, it doesn't tell you just basically your height and weight, but also how much muscle you have, where it is on your body and, and how much body fat too. Mm -hmm. um, so that has been really fun. So I have a patient who was training for an Ironman. Yeah. And so we did, we were able to do kind of a before and after during his training, you know, how his body, and he was upset um, a little bit because he had been doing like some really intense stuff sure and but the his scale had not moved very much right and so um we were because we had done the before and after we were able to say hey you know over the last six weeks of training you know you have gained 10 pounds of muscle yeah. and lost like five pounds of body fat or whatever mm -hmm. so the scale is not moving too much however your whole body is going through this sort Changed of metamorphosis and so that i think is really fun that's really cool yeah, yeah. And, and all things equal, again, generally speaking, people who are carrying a little bit more muscle mass, a little less body fat, are going to broadly be healthier than they would be otherwise. Totally. Oh, yeah. So less visceral fat means, or less belly fat, generally, we're not going to see all the other negative health markers that are just kind of, I guess, diseases of affluence, mm -hmm. chronic illness yep. kind of issues. Uh, and being able to see that clearly with the scan is a, a nice thing to see kind of through time. Yeah. It never tells me what I wanted to say, you know, when I get on yeah. there. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> we joke the gym, uh, the scale at the gym only measures muscle. So when you That's get right. on, it just, it just weighs all your lean mass. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Nothing, nothing extra there. Uh -huh. um, so you mentioned labs. Are there, mm -hmm. are there particular things that somebody, again, health conscious, um, don't necessarily have any glaring issues. Mm -hmm. 
but what are the things that they should be looking at or are there any like numbers or scales or anything that they should be aware of um, that would be good indicators of the next five years, the next 10 years, what, what things might look like for them? That's a good question. Um, well, cholesterol is a big one, especially starting at age 40. Okay. So after starting at age 40, we can use the, the numbers that we get in a cholesterol panel along with somebody's um, other risk factors, like whether they're a smoker and that sort of stuff, to estimate a 10-year risk of a heart attack or stroke. Hmm. And so that is um, that can be really useful for some folks. And um, we'll check cholesterol before the age of 42, but um, when they've done all the studies in the past, that's kind of the age that that, that starts at where we start thinking about maybe even treating it with medicine. So um, cholesterol, I think, can be important. Basic screens for kidney function, liver function can be useful. Sometimes thyroid, depending on um, which is in your neck, if uh, somebody's had maybe family history or other maybe issues with mood, like depression or anxiety, can sometimes mm. um, be related to thyroid issues. Um, what else? For women, um, uh, regular like pap smears, which are every three years, usually in your 20s, and then after 20s, every five years or so. Mm -hmm. um, the, that can be really important for staying healthy. Um, what else? Oh, and then, you know, recently, just with COVID and everything, you know, just being able to be screened for that sort of appropriately and sort of easily mm -hmm. um, has been really helpful. You know, at first when everything was on lockdown and you had COVID and you were out for at least 10 days or right. go through the family and yep. um, having access to those tests was a really big problem because right yeah early on some yeah. folks couldn't we had a, a sweet three-week stint at home <sighs> uh in 2020 because we have five people in our family and everybody got it but of course at different times oh, that's just the and worst so we just stayed home for december <laughs> and, you know it would have been nice if there was nothing to do but yeah there was a lot we were missing during that space so yeah that that was a challenging a challenging spot i had a colleague like that uh, when i was working for the urgent cares mm -hmm. where you know, we, we saw so many COVID patients by ourselves, but she uh, did not get sick. The rest of her family did, like you did, um, one after another. Sequentially, yeah, It right. was a whole month, oh, and yeah. she never got sick. Wow. She kept retesting herself and retesting, never turned positive. Hmm. Um, she couldn't believe it, but because of that, she still had to be out of work. So right. she still... She, close contacts <sighs> and everything, yeah. It was driving her crazy. She would, she would have almost preferred probably to have gotten COVID and... Just be done with it. Yeah, be done with Call it. Call it. Yes, that was that was kind of the the play that we ended up having to make. It was just like, gosh, we got we can either try to quarantine people inside our house with mm -hmm. three small kids, probably not going to happen, or mm -hmm. we can just live life and just here we go. Thankfully, it was all pretty mild for our family. But yeah, yeah, that that's that's cool. So, if uh, if somebody was interested to come and become a patient, mm -hmm. what would they need to do? Uh, so you could. Um, uh, I always like to meet with folks first if possible, you know, if they're interested just to kind of tell them about who we are, kind of hear what their goals are. And um, so uh, our website, which is embermodernmedicine.com, they can mm -hmm. um, either set up an appointment through that or you could just call our office. And um, the nice, one of the nice things about this model, I think, is that we really try to make communicating with your doctor really easy. So if you ever call our practice, it's either going to be me who picks the phone up or my medical assistant, Naomi. And so it's not something where you would call and leave a message and we get back to you like three days later and mm -hmm. you know then they're relaying the message on to somebody else but so we try to be very sort of accessible and um uh so yeah call or email would be would be fine or just stop in and we'll we'll chat with you yeah awesome so one of the things um 
that we've we've been able to do in our partnership between Swamp Rabbit CrossFit and uh, Ember Modern Medicine is that Brian has been really generous with their Sika scanner, and so when we have new members who are coming on, that they. Uh, have the option to come and, and get a body scan done, which is also great because I want you to meet Brian. And if you don't have a primary care or if you're fed up with your primary care, have an opportunity to kind of hear the story of what's going on at Ember. Hopefully, listening to all this and hearing, you know, my general sense of this is uh, Brian's a guy who um, feels a responsibility to do good. And so the way that he found that kind of uniquely suits him to do good in the world is have a primary care practice where he can know somebody through time, kind of see them through life as much as they're willing to be a part of that. Um, and he mentioned a few things so far in this conversation where uh, if you're bouncing between primary cares and seeing a different doctor, they're all doing their best. They, they want to give you good service when you show up and help you to be well. But the same person seeing a thing through time can pick up patterns where random people seeing it just can't. Yep. And uh, there's opportunities for, for better and more effective healthcare when you have the same doctor through, through time and a, and a real relationship there versus um, kind of what we described as that churn and burn, can I hurry up and get somebody in and out and uh, write you the script and now Walgreens is your doctor <laughs> and you're gonna go and do the thing that you need to do to, to take care of those things. So. Mm -hmm. um, Brian, is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have asked you in this conversation? Um, can I do, how many wall balls could I do right now? Ooh. I don't know. <laughs> 40. Thank you for not asking if I could do handstand push-ups. Yeah. Because I sure can't. You got it. One hey, of these days. Listen, <laughs> if it's a goal, we'll make it a goal. If it's a, this is a conversation we've been having a lot lately where um, it's interesting when you get into a methodology or a system, it's kind of like going to school. And so when you go to ninth grade, your job is to finish ninth grade and then you go to 10th grade. And it, whether you care about that or not, right? Whether if, if whatever the classes are in 10th grade, you're interested in them, you're not, doesn't matter. It's just what you do next. You need to do a good job because it's what you're supposed to do. And uh, it's been interesting kind of having some mindset shifts and thoughts on that where in CrossFit, sometimes we uh, give people their goals versus receiving their goals and helping them with that as the broader methodology. That's something that at our gym, we're trying to do a better job of saying, you said handstand push-ups. Okay, is that something you feel like you should do? Or is that something that would actually move you towards your goals or that you just want to do? And if it's not, then I don't feel like you should do handstand push-ups. I feel like you should do what is going to help you accomplish what you want. So that, again, kind of a similar thrust. It's like, I'd rather know you and your history and what you want to accomplish. And if what you want to accomplish is muscle-ups and handstand push-ups and climbing ropes, fabulous. We can do that for you. We'll help you with that. If it's not, no problem. Like, there, there's no need for you to do that if what you really want to do is be able to go hiking with your dogs. Yeah. Usually you don't muscle up your way through the woods with your dogs. Yeah, I agree. And so, you see that in medicine too. Like yeah. somebody, it's, it's easy for us, I think, as uh, as doctors to say, okay, this should be your goal in life. Um, see this especially in sort of the elderly and those mm -hmm. activities of daily living like we were talking about. Um, but the patient's goal may be completely different than um, yeah. what ours is. And that's better. You know, I mean, we want to be able to help them, you know, sort of accomplish what their goals are. I'm curious as to how you have done it so successfully in sort of helping 
keep track of what kind of all the members goals are and yeah um oh man i love I, the goal board you know that, yeah. you, that where people can write it down you know what it is for the year yeah i i like that you think that we're doing that really well um <clears throat> I, I think when you see how the sausage is made everything feels like it could always be better uh -huh. you know, that's a challenge now we do have uh, a great team who's doing a great job and part of the way that we're able to do it well is that those people have connections with certain subsets of the group so I could not maintain 200 people's everything personally like that. That's just not my superpower. Um, but I can help five or 10 people really excel as coaches. That, that probably is my superpower. And so then if, if they have connections with members and they're super skilled and they're getting educated and they're working, then uh, I feel like I work for the team. The team works for the gym. Um, and that, that's, that seems to help us a lot more than if I work for the gym, the team works for me and that, like, that doesn't, that doesn't flow the same way. It doesn't provide the same service. So yeah. I would, I would rather it work in that, that way than, than the opposite. Um, so my, my goal is to have a safe, motivating, inspiring workplace. And then that means that the coaches will have a, a fun and inviting and you know motivating gym. And then hopefully that means the membership will be full of people who want what we want. And you know it's easier to serve them because they're the right people who want to come and do the things that we want them to, to do. Or yeah. kind of vice versa. We want to do the things that serve them, uh, that help them to have the life that they want. And I think you feel it there, I think, which is really cool. And I what... What I what I'm excited about, I think, in, even in just starting Ember in this model, is this idea of being kind of free to work with a patient. So, you know, I have patients who um, who go to Swamp Rabbit CrossFit and they love it, and I love this idea of being able to work closely with their coaches mm -hmm. or personal trainers and mm -hmm. um, or anybody really and what that person's goals are. So I think it's fun to even just be able to step out of this or. Um, you know, there's nothing that would really stop stop me from being able to go with a patient to their physical therapy appointment and kind right. of seeing how that goes and then talking personally with their mm -hmm. physical therapist to mm -hmm. see, you know, how what we could be doing better as a team. Um, and that collaborative approach, I think, is just a really yeah. cool idea. Yeah, it's a really cool time that you don't have to be a professional athlete to have a team who helps you maximize your life. I mean, yeah. you could you could go to two or three buildings in town and you could have somebody who's doing therapy and counseling and helping you think about your, your mental well-being, your emotional well-being, your relationships. You could see to your physical well-being in terms of basic health screens, dealing with illness. You drive across uh, halfway across town and you could take care of the performance aspect and mm -hmm. the self-care and the, the stress reduction that you get from exercise. Um, and then we have neighbors who could do physical therapy if something is going wrong or you have previous issues that you've come into this, this space with, uh, which is often the case for us. We'll have people who show up and they had a thing and then we say, okay, well, let's, let's get ahead of that. Our, our goal in our process is to do assessment first. Mm -hmm. um, not really on-ramp, air quotes, or fundamentals, what people think of in, in the typical CrossFit space. Our goal with our initial service is not to get you ready for CrossFitting. It's to find out where you are, see mm -hmm. if there's anything that you need, see if there's anything out of balance or uh, lacking range of motion or unsafe. Great. Now let's do a, 
individual plan of care in a sense for that. We're going to yeah. give you a functional diagnosis, not a medical diagnosis, and then uh, carry you through what we need to do to to treat that, as it were, or bring in our team mm -hmm. and say, you need primary care, you need physical therapy, you need whatever the case may be, and let's get a team and let's collaborate. Coach can talk to doctor if you give him permission. Coach can talk mm -hmm. to your, your physical therapist if you give him permission. Right. And now we can have your back because where are you going to go most? Usually to see us. Yeah. So if we get to see you three to five times a week, you might see your doctor if things are going badly once a month, every two weeks, but probably once a year, twice a year. Mm -hmm. Why not you know, get on a team where we can be talking with everybody and provide the support? Totally. No, I agree. Yeah. I love it. Cool. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out of the day, Brian. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate what you guys are doing here at Ember. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a cool way to do good. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of Swap Prep at CrossFit. Awesome. Anything we can do to help you guys out, I'd love to. Yeah. We appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Jack Rabbit Fitness Podcast. We appreciate your support. If you got just one little useful nugget that will help you out today, consider heading over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and leaving us a five-star review. Really helps to get the word out and share these tips and tricks about life-changing fitness with friends and family. You can find out more about Swamp Rabbit CrossFit by following us on Instagram or on Facebook at Swamp Rabbit CrossFit, or you can visit the website at swamprabbitcrossfit.com. We hope this episode is part of the best hour of your day and we'll catch you on the next one.